When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, guys, one of the most infamous Lowell's episodes featured our guest today. It is, of course, James, a.k.a. Chess is OK. Last time he was here, he was tossing grenades, Molotov cocktails all around the DFS space. We had a great time and thought, you know what? We need to bring him back, see what he's been up to, see what other hot takes he's been cooking up. Let's do it. It's James. Chess is OK on Lowell's. I, does he think... I it's think he thinks goat. this he thinks this is a go. Vegas Dave thinks this is a go. Hot naked girls doing yoga. What? Why don't you just win like a man? Random.org. <laughs> Type in one for yes, two for no, and let the DFS gods pick for you. And I'm absolutely begging you not to do bus. <laughs> Please don't do bus. James, did you uh have you observed how your 80-hour comment that you made last time you were on lulls has become a bit of a meme in the dfs space since then no tell me more well ever since you i think we were just talking about like your average week when you were grinding dfs all the time and you had a comment that you spent about 80 hours a week kind of like on your process i think you were talking about nba specifically mm -hmm. and i don't know if other grinders found that to be like an absurd amount of time relative to how much they put in but now everyone is always referencing like are you putting in your 80 hours a week it's kind of like our malcolm gladwell ten thousand hours it's you need your 80 just hours 80 a week though just to be to be good yeah well i think that's probably right like if you're working seven days a week like noon to midnight it really adds up so yeah have you, but you haven't been playing now though for a while, right? No. Um, the last time I played DFS professionally was Super Bowl 2021. So it's been over two years. Okay. You say professionally though, because I want to say I've seen references to people saying they, they'll see you pop up in a lobby every now and again. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Um, I don't play very much at all though. Like, basically, I'm a kind of all or nothing kind of person. And unless I am putting in 80 hours a week, let's say, uh, I don't, I'd rather sit out. Um, I kind of devote myself all into the thing that I'm doing at the moment. And that happens to be investing in software business and venture capital right now. Um, but I mean, being a professional gambler was eight wonderful years, years of my life. And um, I mean, I'm the person I am today because of poker and fantasy sports. So, yeah, happy to talk about either. Um, so, Pete, I think the uh, majority of people, uh, like you know the you know the DFS shows and stuff, James, that are that are everywhere on all the different channels and stuff. I think the consensus was eighty was a lot, and they Too were. Much? That's what they. That's what they were saying. If you put in less, I think I think they were kind of saying they don't they didn't believe you or you're exaggerating. I'm I'm pretty sure that was the the general theme going why everyone was referencing it so much Pete. they shouldn't they can ask my wife <laughs> um, what? no honestly i had a daughter uh during covid and that was a big impetus for moving on because i mean the hours are just 
it's really tough to have a family and not get any sleep and be raising a, a an infant or a toddler. You know, uh, you need reliable hours. Like you need to do daycare pickup during uh, crunch time, those kind of things. And so it's like not totally amenable to being like, no, no one can talk to me from five to seven o'clock. You know, like I need to be avail available for late swap. That's like the most important thing. You know, like it just doesn't work as well when you have uh, a toddler knocking on your door, being like, "What you doing, Dada?" Yeah, it certainly, certainly changes the calculus. What What are the hours? How many hours are you putting in on your new endeavors with with Gutter and the venture capital stuff? Wait, Pete, do you have, do you have a kid? I just had a kid. Yeah, she turned uh, twelve weeks today. Congrats! And so, how do you do with your with your eighty hours now? Uh, yeah, I mean, it is, uh, not putting in 80 hours. Uh, I continue to play DFS casually. I've always played DFS casually, but no, to your, to your point, like your schedule does change your priorities change. You're trying to find these pockets of time where you can get stuff done. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, it, things have definitely changed for me. Yeah. I mean, no, understandably. So, um, generally, I mean, I do the, basically I've, I'm, I'm a routine man. I do the same thing every day. So when it comes to venture, like I'm generally in the office at 7.30 in the morning and I generally leave around six or something like that. And I do that five days a week and I try to be good about taking weekends off, but I often end up working during nap time, which is like noon to two or three. So um, yeah, that's the, it's a, it's a, you have the flexibility when there's no lock and you don't have to have your bets in at a certain time to, uh, take care of other responsibilities. What what years did you play poker? I played poker like 2013, 14, 15. Oh. And there was a little overlap between that and fantasy, but basically like there came a point where I was up like in one half of NBA season, I made like six times of what I made in the previous like entire year of playing poker. And so it didn't last long until it was obvious that it was time to move on from poker. Those are some rough years of poker, 2013, those, 14, 15. Were, but, uh, Not why you want to go professional, those those specific years. Marcos has a good question here. Last time you were here, you mentioned you did coaching. Yes, what, I what's, did do some coaching. You still doing it? Not as much anymore. Um, I worked with – I mean, it's pretty rewarding. I worked with 20 people. Most of them were quite good and really used the – advice that I gave them well. And I loved getting messages from people when they were shipping, uh, when they were shipping large GPPs and I could see mm -hmm. who's in second and third and they were some of my biggest competitors back in the day, but, um, no, that's fun. Uh, but I do admittedly like less of that now. One of the, one reason is because it was two years ago that I was playing. So I think that I have less to say about strategy today. Um, but for a lot of people who are like, uh, solid winners in DFS, but looking to take it to the next level. I think that just talking to me for an hour could have like saved them a, a ton of time. What, like how much of your, I, obviously you're doing other stuff. You're not playing regularly, but do you have your finger on the pulse at all? Like when MMA, they get rid of late swap and then, or bring in late swap and then get rid of it. Like, are those news items that are coming your way? Or are you just completely in your own bunker right now? You guys can bet on MMA. <laughs> The, 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 it was a huge thing because there was a bunch of, there was a vocal minority who was sick of the late scratches. And so DraftKings like capitulated and was like, fine, we'll add late swap for MMA. Then their tech and their rollout for it was a disaster. And then they rolled it back to no yeah. late swap fairly recently. Well, I just think that when you add late swap to 
any structure, basically, it's going to severely benefit the best players and that even though it's the kind of thing that recreational say, players might say they want, I think that it's going to make them go broke a lot faster. And honestly, it's hard to late swap by hand. And I think that anyone who late swaps by hand is lying if they tell you that they're good at late swap. Okay. They could do it if they're playing like two lineups. Something I stand like that. by what I said. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Well, I think it's possible with, with, I think with that one anyone who sits a one or two high stakes contests and late swaps by hand is probably a loser in that game. But I don't, what do I know? I'm out of the yeah, game. Yeah, I, I don't think there's many people doing it, but um, I think it's, I think you, you, you could if you really, if you really, really know what's going on, you're paying attention. One, one lineup, I think, I think you could pull it off, but it doesn't matter. I agree. Late swap is, is like for people who not only are good, but you got to stay there all night. Like you got to, cause you got to do it after every, every lock. So like tonight, for example, there's four games it's central time. It's six, six thirty, seven thirty, Right. And there's only I four remember, games. I remember what it's like and you're playing rosters on all of those. Right. Yeah. And so like you, you want to look at it at each locks. I mean, it's annoying as hell. MMA was not a good sport to implement late swap in my opinion. Um, because the start times aren't really set. Because, like, if a guy gets knocked out in the first, that kind of changes things, and they get, like, pushed back, and some fights can, like, go, the timing can get screwed up. So they, they yeah. started locking it two fights later. So, like, even though the oh, fights shit. haven't gone, yeah, so it was all screwed up. They rolled it out, James. The, the rollout was so bad. Like, uh, they, they first they let the ownership of the late, the late players – they showed it early by accident, and it's like, but you could late swap, but everyone now knows the ownership, and then they They're like a Vandal employee, exactly, yeah. yeah. And then and then they, uh, and then what was the other one? They um, they let you swap a fight that already started, and so like they they could like if a guy knocks somebody out, you could like really quickly swap them in, and they cancel wow. all the people who did that, and then there was like one more mistake, and it was just a lot of social media pushback, and they rolled it back. Thank God. And then last week, Pete, I don't know if you saw, the main event was scratched post last. Yes. <laughs> as soon as they brought it back. It's crazy. Yeah, and I, I guess that's a tough one to handle, you know, because I kind of – my instinct is that, like, everyone's playing the same kind of environment. So, like, you shouldn't cancel the contest because everyone is kind of in the same boat there. But, like, in terms of experience for – non-regular players like it's just a horrible experience like those are people who are probably never going to come back to the platform you know if it's a f their first time playing and something like that happens i, I almost think it's i think like they less... have to cancel it sorry that for like legal reasons I'm, uh -oh. I'm, uh, i doubt you can because they were going to get sued no i think it's just probably something you can't like let people wager on an event um like when you say the like i think the dfs rules like yeah it's a certain lot start time and if you announce it pre-lock that that's what the players are agreeing to do something like that i i could yeah. be wrong but that's kind of good sorry Pete, i cut you off oh no i was just saying like for to james's point about being like a bad user experience it's probably even worse when it's like not a main card right because most people who are just like casually tossing lineups in they want to have fighters from the main card and if that card if that fight is off like then their night's already ruined already it's more like if they have a zero in their lineup from earlier in the night and then they head into the main card and they're just like, I'm already drawing dead because I took a zero that I couldn't late swap. I'm guessing that's what tilts people even more. Yeah. Um, yeah that makes sense. The, uh, 
so do you find yourself uh do you find yourself ever missing it trying to scratch that itch you know or do you still casually watch sports or was your relationship with sports just exclusively through dfs i miss it a little bit um basically being an investor things happen very slowly and then even more slowly than that and i do miss the urgency of having rosters set uh, the fact that you need to get your work done for for that day, you make the decisions, and then you move on to the next ones. I really like that cadence. Uh, so there is something about that that I miss, uh, the competitiveness as well. Um, but yeah, when you're an investor, you it takes uh, five years plus for things to play out, and then you don't even get clear signal about whether you made good decisions or not. And um, in the same way in DFS, how the variance is confusing and tricky, and it's why the game exists, like... That's also why investing is a fantastic opportunity because uh, it's legitimately difficult to figure out which way is up. That's interesting. What uh, to tell people who aren't familiar, kind of what you're doing with Gutter? Like, what is your specific role? And I can screen share here a little bit of your guys' website. Yeah. No. Thank you. Um, I run a venture fund called Gutter Capital. We're a twenty-five million dollar fund focused on. Uh, investing in early stage software businesses. We lead pre-seed and seed stage rounds. Uh, basically, we think that big businesses are built in response to great challenges. Uh, some of the biggest problems we face in society, that's how you find yourself in large and growing markets with customers who have newly allocated budgets who are willing to pay to have these problems solved for them. Uh, and that's where you have new kind of like software solutions that are built tailor-made to correct them. Um, so basically how I got into it and made the transition, uh, when I started hitting it big in fantasy sports, uh, so basically my partner, Dan started this company called managed by Q, which was a commercial cleaning business and services marketplace here in New York. Uh, I wrote some of the first software for them, the optimization for where all the cleaners would go. Um, but he started building a reputation as an exceptional operator he would get cold inbound from founders looking for mentorship. And he was like barely paying himself a salary at the time. So we started investing my gambling winnings, writing small checks into pre-seed and seed stage companies. Uh, we called ourselves gutter capital because when we invested, we were consistently the smallest check into the rounds we invested in. And this was like a little bit before AngelList took off. It was a little bit before there was still angel investing, but it wasn't at the scale it was today. So it was often like, a lead firm putting in over a million dollars and then us putting in 25K that were the participants in the round. Um, and we, as we started doing more and more for our founders, it started feeling less and less good passing off those deals to the top venture funds. Like the partners there tend to be really sharp and good, but they were going to sit down in the first couple of board meetings to kind of figure out all of the things that we already knew to be true. Um, so it was really that realization, our founder references, our track record, um, because we did the, basically we started investing and we did about a hundred deals over five years. Um, and then, yeah, that gave us the track record to go out and raise this fund where we continued to do what we've been doing all along, except now we lead rounds and take about a million and a half total position size, uh, and really go to work for our founders, uh, providing deep operational support and focusing on placing key people as the best way to move the needle for the companies we invest in. Um, how, how do you get started? Like, what, how much paperwork do you have to do? I imagine there's some hoops you got to jump through. You can't just, I mean, Pete can't just start a fund after the show, can we? You could. Does, it's not that hard. It? 
like basically when we got it started investing, I mean, you need to know founders, you know, you need to know people starting companies and they need to want to give you allocation in the rounds that they're raising. Um, and so, I mean, I guess securing allocation is when you're starting out the hard part, cause no one knows who you are or like what you're going to do for them, or you have no track record. So like, why are they going to work with you? Um, but yeah, after you do that for a while, you start building a reputation in the references and then people start saying like, Oh, like I have a lot of investors and they were the only ones who did things for me, you know, like that when you start getting those kind of, uh, references, it becomes easier and easier, but yeah, I mean, I got a letter from my accountant uh, signed saying that I was a, an accredited investor and I started just wiring money and that's how I got started. Okay. I figured there'd be some sort of regulatory file, filing you'd have to do, some sort of fiduciary responsibility or something. But I guess if you're giving them the money, it's really just your gamble. The accredited investor is not that hard to get. Uh, it's not that hard to get. I mean, What is the threshold money. for it now? It's like two hundred grand, I think. Maybe two fifty. I think if you're making you, if it's a certain income, or it's like I think a million in net assets or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. If you have yeah, a bunch okay. of like million, I think that's right. Like two hundred fifty grand and a million net, I think was the last time I looked. Who knows what something it is like that? I mean, to start a fund and manage money for other people, there's certainly more paperwork to do that, and drawing up the legal docs can cost you anywhere from like fifty to a hundred thousand. Um, but to get started, I mean, it doesn't take much. Have you ever said, seen the state operated, uh, local investment, angel investment marketplaces? I, I'm not I, sure if I'm they popped familiar. up. Oh, I used to work at the treasurer's office. We were gonna, we were working on one because there is this problem of the accreditor invest and in, everyone has to be an accredited investor to, to invest in these early stage companies. And, you know, why can't a guy who makes 70 grand, you know, put 500 bucks into some company? It's illegal currently. Um, and so through the state, they were going to make this marketplace of businesses looking to get small seed funding from regular regular people. And I think yeah. Indiana, this is years ago, right? I haven't had a job for a long time. So I'm assuming they're probably out. Congrats, Brian. Run. Although I had, I don't know why I'm putting my faith in them getting, getting it up, but uh, it should be up by now. And uh, I don't know, I figured that'd be something that somebody like like you might be interested in. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of adverse selection to those kind of marketplaces because, um, I mean, if we're leading a round, we're pretty selective about who we're going to recommend that the founders take in the round with us. And if, that, if, a, if a company starts opening up the investment to the public, that might mean that they're not able to fill the round with like insiders or people who know what's going on. So like... Yeah, it kind of sucks that you limit to an accredited investor and like people who have a million dollars are, I don't think on average, any more savvy than people who don't, you know, it's not a good criteria, but it is a pretty predatory space where like a lot of the things that are available for individuals to invest in are probably things that they shouldn't or like you wouldn't want to. Right. And that was the treasurer's job as being the responsible party for overseeing who gets the last yeah. time marketplace. That's and great. by the way, like they don't know what the fuck they're doing either. So it's all a clusterfuck. But um, yeah, I just thought that was, you just jogged my memory with this angel investing. How about, how about. Uh, oh, we lost Brian. Uh, oh. 
Brian's uh, clipping for a sec what? here, Brian. Oh, am I? Uh, you guys are fine. Am I back? Am I still clipping? You're back. I think you're back. Yeah, you guys were fine that whole time. The uh, how about have, um, just before we move on? I have seen cases where there's a company that's like failed to raise money from institutional venture who's like opened it up to the public, and it's like kind of gross. Hmm. I mean, it's pretty. It's actually like pretty common, and I mean, it's not good. When you uh, when you say that you are as an investor, like. Uh, helping out these companies that you're investing in? Like, what are the kind of things you're doing for them? Obviously, like strategic investors is a very, you know, uh, standardized concept, but I'm curious, like the specific yeah. things you guys offer to these companies. So we focus on hiring key people as the best way to move the needle for a company. Basically, like at the earliest stages, like the difference between having a great CT, like a great head of technology and a mediocre one is the difference between like having a monster outcome and going out of business. Um, and so that's what we set ourselves to do. Uh, our first hire now operating partner is this guy, Richard Hughes, who ran recruitment at my partner, Dan's company. He recruited the whole senior team there, and he's a really exceptional recruiter. Uh, in the past year, he's helped fill over half of the headcount in our portfolio companies, which is like almost 50 positions. That includes multiple co-founders. That includes multiple CTOs. Like... A lot of venture funds say that they only invest in technical founders, and I could I could talk a lot about that, but we actually prefer, prefer founders who have deep industry experience and insights because we think we can solve for technical talent fairly easily. Uh, I mean, not easily, but like we can we can find great CTOs for you and set ourselves in a in a couple of months to put ten great candidates in front of a a founder. And I mean, for me, like someone as you guys probably are like thinking about how I'm going to beat the game, like how we're going to see opportunities that other people aren't seeing, how we're going to get better prices than other people, how we're going to do more or better change the trajectory of our businesses. Like, I mean, we're talking about, I don't know. It's the, 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 the quality of the people we're placing into our companies. It's just like a whole different ball game. So how do you, uh, not to like question your own personal Rolodex, but where are you finding these people? Are you the one like scouring like LinkedIn to find people who are qualified? How, how are you doing that? Well, that's Richard Hughes's job. He's fantastic at it. Okay. That's your partner. Yeah. Well, that's the, our, yes, our third partner who we brought on Richard Hughes, who's an operating partner. Okay. Gotcha. That sounds so, painful. It does. He's great at it. I mean, he when when he's filling a role, he's sending like a hundred cold emails a day. That's it Holy is a volume shit. game. Um, but no, he's great. And like, honestly, a lot of it starts at the grassroots, where like we work with the founders to have a professional organization that people would want to work for, where you clearly communicate like what we're doing here, so people can go home and tell their spouse or tell their parents like this is a real thing and why I want to work there. And once you do that, like the rest of it becomes easy. Like I think where people run into problems with hiring is often in the communication step, where it's like not well communicated, like why this is a really attractive thing to to work for. So, you, so it sounds like for you guys, I mean, I, I have to assume just in general, a lot of this um, investment funding is very competitive. And so you guys stand out because you have now like the snowball effect of referrals of saying like, hey, these guys have actually really helped us out. They're going to do more than just writing a check. Is that how you guys have kind of inched your way into a lot of these? Yeah, compounded over time. I mean, when we started in 2017, I think we did four deals. 
Uh, we got pretty lucky that year because one of them went out of business and three of them became unicorns. Um, and so we thought, hey, this is easy. And we basically were started doubling the amount that we were doing every year. And we were consistently showing up and doing a great deal for our founders. Uh, often the smallest checks in the rounds we invested in, but one of the most engaged inv investors, sometimes doing more than the people who were leading the round. Um, and my partner sold his company to WeWork in 2019 and he went full time. And so, yeah, it's just the compounding effect of doing that year after year. It's just more and more people who are who are like, hey, these guys are legit. Interesting. What, what do you think about the all in pod, J.Cal, the syndicate? You care about any of that stuff? Um, what, what do you mean specifically? I don't know. I know you like talking shit, so I'm kind of I want you to talk shit about <laughs> J.Cal or the all in all in podcast. Oh, sure. Or you, maybe you like it or you don't watch it. Well, it's the most know. popular venture capitalist podcast in the world. Right? You could call them like the venture capitalist cabal, right? Like the stuff runs, you know, they, they dictate a lot of stuff. There was the clip. What was the thing? Was it, was it Solana or something? One of them where they yeah, were like openly talking about dumping their coins and kind of laughing about it. It's and pretty gross. Them. And a lot of those guys have pretty average returns, but you wouldn't know it listening to the way they talk about what they do. What, uh, what how do you know that they uh, don't have great returns? Well, a lot of this stuff is tracked and you can see their decks and things like that. So um, it's pretty easy in this industry. Like I could talk, I mean, venture is just like such a incredible opportunity. Like, honestly, it gives me the same feeling when I deposited the first thousand bucks I deposited on FanDuel and I realized I needed to stop everything else I was doing and only do this. The way people talked about DFS back then, it was just like there were so many common misconceptions that people just repeated. One of them, like a guy's injured, don't touch it. You know, there was just so much basic stuff that people got wrong. And like literally when I got into venture, people are saying things like price doesn't matter. You know, it's one or zero, either it's a home run or it's not. So if it's a home run, you need to have invested as much as you could. Like all of this resu results oriented stuff. And like you take an industry where the average fund, the median fund returned almost 20% lifetime since the 70s like take every fund take the median fund it's almost 20 percent after fees and a lot of these funds took very significant fees so like i mean it, it gave me that feeling where it's like wow i really need to figure this out and figure out how to value these companies and figure out how to get really good at this because it's like 2000 it's like the money maker poker again you know which is the same feeling i got in dfs um but I could talk more, a little bit more about venture history too, if, if, if you guys are interested. I mean, I just live, eat, and breathe this stuff. So, good. Anyway, there are a lot of people who who have a winner or two, uh, have a decent fund. Basically, like institutional investors are comparing you to the S and P mostly, and like we've, I just talked about like the median fund is beating that handedly so like almost everyone's happy in the ecosystem and like these some some fund managers just go to bed being like oh i'm a genius and then they make podcasts and talk about how much of a genius they are when they're really just like uh you know literally the 50th of 100 funds that year but what um <clears throat> well one thing i always when i hear those kind of like prolific venture capitalists or even like the fucking guys on shark tank right where they're just doing all of these deals it seems like every single one of those, if you are rolling up your sleeves and actually helping them talk about 80 hours a week, I mean, the amount of time that's putting on your plate to like foster that relationship in that company. Like, how do you think about that of like chasing the new thrill of the next investment, knowing like a ton of work is going to come with each individual one of those funds? 
Yeah, I mean, so that's something that's like ridiculous about Shark Tank on its face. Like, I mean, these they're they're like it's impossible for them to do anything for you if they're doing like five deals that day. You know, like we plan to do about ten investments a year, and when we make when we're making a commitment to a founder, like we're talking about five. I mean, we we generally take board seats when we invest. We're likely to be on those boards for like five to seven years. You know, so like these aren't. We're talking about relationships that are going to outlast the average marriage. It's not something like we walk into lightly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, on its face, it's the the pitches that like, for instance, on Shark Tank, when they're like, oh, we're going to do so much for you. I'm going to like, I'll handle your distribution. I have like the right networks for you. Don't worry. I'll make all the intros for you. Like I'll t- handle it from here. It's like, it's just, it's just impossible. It's tr- literally impossible. Like they're full of crap. Yeah. Because that it just, especially if your guys' specific selling point is like, hey, we're going to work closely with you. We're going to hire the help you, you know, find the right people. I mean, yeah. I go to your 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 company page right now of all the funds you guys have invested in. Like, are you working closely with all of these companies on a regular basis? Yeah. So Fund Zero is the angel portfolio. So those are just some select ones from the hundred we did. Um, in fund one, we're, we're on the boards of these companies. We work closely with them. In many cases, we've, we've helped them find co-founders or, or key people in the organization. Um, like I mentioned last year, like, I think there were 80 open roles in our portfolio and we helped to fill 50 of them. So yeah, I mean, on, on the left side, we're doing a, we're doing a lot with these companies and, and for the ones I'm on the board of, uh, basically my partner and I split have like a clear delegation for what we do. He basically runs the support organization and I run the investing organization. So he does about 80% of the work when it comes to supporting the companies. And I do about 80% of the work when it comes to making the investment decisions um, and diligence and all of that. And so I'm on the board of three of these companies, but for those companies, I'm talking to the founders every day, you know? Interesting. Mm-hmm. Is it what- DD, Pete? Remember that? Uh, Randone, DD? Due diligence wasn't that a bit oh, yeah. for, uh, for a while. Sorry, go ahead. You just don't don't use the hashtag because it's a League of Legends uh, team there. Uh, what? How much? Uh, like, what sectors are you most interested in? Like, when the stuff you guys are investing in, is there a specific industry or type of thing where you think there's like huge growth potential right now? Yeah, I mean, a lot of them. Um, we focus on software businesses because that's what generally has the most appealing unit economics and margins. Um, but basically we're looking for solutions to big problems that society faces. Generally, we think that fits into three buckets, which is like the affordability crisis, uh, sustainability or economic mobility. Um, and so we tend to focus on companies that have like a software or high margin solution that addresses one of those things. Some of the areas that we've invested a lot in include like uh, companies that help increase the quantity of housing in this country because of the affordability around housing is like a at the level of a national catastrophe. Uh, basically, we haven't built enough housing since the global financial crisis, and it's most acute at the bottom end of the market where the you, where the economics don't make sense for the enterprise home builders to build. Uh, so, I mean, basically, I think that the largest company by market cap in the world can be built that properly addresses that problem. Uh, and I think we funded. I think we funded four companies that have a have a are taking a crack at a solution to the housing crisis, and hopefully we funded one of them. Nice. Um, speaking of uh, syndicates, 
like the the jcal everyone can invest in it the there's kind of a dfs version i was just thinking with um uh state the stake uh website uh, the name is i'm drawing a blank i know it's got stake stake kings. kings stake kings the i don't know if he's still on there but i'm assuming he is like almost all his action brandon adams is on there he won the millie last night in the nba wow congrats really? to him well i didn't i closed the app early but like he had a lot so i'm assuming he won so whoever uh made an angel investment into uh, into uh, Brandon Adams. You probably got a nice return last night. Yeah, I mean, there's there's also a lot of adverse selection in that, obviously. I think that Brandon, I don't honestly know. I mean, he played this hand against Phil Hellmuth on uh, Poker After Dark. That was a big inspiration to me. I mean, he was an incredible gambler in his time, so like, I wouldn't be surprised if he's still a winner. I think I remember the hand you talked about. That was a long time ago. Yeah, the lineup he played, I did not think was very good. But what do I not? What do I know? Uh, Well, he like there was a late injury um, question mark, and he he picked Jackson Hayes, who ended up not starting, and then didn't swap off of him, but got lucky and he like ate ten x or something. Like it's like the the you know kind of like a guy who didn't even pay attention to his phone move. What well, and like just the, he had like six super low owned guys in a pretty small tournament. Um, I think Chipotle addict did that at a live final with Solomon Hill when everyone else had like Dante Cunningham or something like that. But um, uh, in the way the way the the schedule worked out too you I don't think you can argue that it was like an ownership play either because like the guy who did start wasn't going to be that high owned cuz it was the only one late game and every other lineup was locked or full. So like, um, I, but whatever. Maybe I don't know. It seems like these guys have a wide range. Maybe. Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> and like the, like the other players that he picked that were in that lineup too, were a lot of long shots. Um, you think the projection was too weak on this roster or what? Yeah. Yeah, probably overall, and I, I he might not even switch the guy. Like what he do, might what not do you guys, even light swap. What do you think is his motivation for doing stakings? Because Brandon Adams, very successful dude, also an investor, um, academic, all those things. I don't, I don't think he's hurting for cash. I don't think he necessarily needs the Stake Kings affiliate money. What? Why? Why do you think he does it? He probably get. He probably owns part of the company. I would bet, but maybe he doesn't. And guaranteed whatever he charges, I, I'm I'm pretty sure they give him a sweetheart deal, and so he doesn't pay them that much, if anything, because they want to use his name to give legitimacy to the site. So he's probably making 15% on every dollar bought into his portfolio, which guaranteed every night is is pretty sweet. But I I mean, you figure if he's rich, that's a lot of work. He might not even be entering his lineups. I don't want to like make an accusation. He might, he might just do it for marketing. He so might just like, have somebody else entering those lineups. Well, that's a big accusation, isn't it? I, I mean, I have no idea. But like, I, I'm trying to like, if he's rich, like, why does he care? Uh, I don't know. Those are all those are all possible motivations. I have not no everyone's motivated by money. I don't care who he has under his lineups, honestly. But what? What would you say for you, James, are like the 
most applicable skills, whether technical or just things you've learned from playing DFS, playing poker that you now apply to investing? I mean, it's so similar in so many ways where basically I would say the skill in DFS comes down to projecting players' performance in sports, having some idea for what your opponents are going to do, and then knowing what the best rosters are going to play, knowing what the best rosters are to play given those two factors. And like investing is exactly the same, just replace uh, player performance with company performance and you've got the exact same thing. So like I set myself to really understand companies and who their customers are and what the customers need are and like what that market is going to look like. Um, and yeah, then you, the rest of it is uh, finding yourself in like less competitive situations where you get to dictate terms, where you're not fighting over a lot of funds and have to pay up for, for things that are, are frankly like just as likely to succeed as, as other businesses you're seeing. Uh, and knowing what to do given all of those factors. What What's the equivalent for you? Like when, you, when people talk about getting a sweat in DFS, like what is the sweat for you in investment? There's is no sweat. The There's, There's no, no sweat. sweat at all? There's no Zero. sweat. And I mean, I think if you're, yeah, I mean, in private markets, there's no sweat because things happen so slowly. In public markets, things also happen so slowly. But I think that if you're actually sweating, you're just getting distracted because like, uh, I think the best public markets investors aren't glued to their screen looking at what happens like day to day or minute to minute, but including traders. So you're, you're telling me like, you, you guys write a $1.5 million check to these companies and you're not checking their, their monthly or their quarterly revenue reports and be like, oh, this is going well, or, oh God, this looks bad. There's no sweat there. Well, it, that there is some excitement to that, but it's also like, if things are going bad, it's like, how do we fix it? You know? And if things so, are going so you well, are checking. like, how can, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, I'm looking, you look at the, basically we have board meetings quarterly generally, and you're like, you're getting all of the financials and you're going over everything and you're thinking about how can we help. Pete just gave a great, that now I'm intrigued. I'm like, Oh, that's a sweat. I could deal with that sweat. Like, yeah, give it to me every week, actually. You know, like, Oh, fine. We're, we're doing, and you're we're getting doing. distracted. If you're looking at things every week, every I day, just like, time, like a lot of times, like we have a, we have a company that's selling software to floodplain managers at municipalities called forerunner. It's one of the biggest positions in the fund, a truly exceptional business. Uh, Union Square Ventures just led the Series A and they're a wonderful partner. So we're lucky to have them involved as well and joining the board. But like, you know, the sales cycles there, like you're not really going to get a good understanding of the business looking at what happens week to week or month to month. They were written into the Florida state budget, you know, like that doesn't happen overnight. Um, and that's pretty common when it comes to dealing with government buyers, when it comes to dealing with enterprise buyers, the kind of buyers who are writing you like business changing checks, generally like week to week, you're not really going to know where you're at. Do you ever, do you ever like um, recommend new employees and then call it like a late swap? Like we need Bob from account <laughs> late swap. For sure. Well, I mean, like if there's a problem in the organization, I mean, like, Oftentimes, the thing that happens early stage is like a lot of the times at the company, um, 
So a lot of the times you have a company where they get their first customers where like everyone was working for nothing and the employees were kind of like whoever was around. And it turns out that that those aren't always the right people to build the business for the long term. So like when there's a problem, it's often like pretty obvious. It's like, oh, this one part of the part of the organization keeps holding us back or keeps underperforming. But like, yeah, there is definitely like, you know, switching people out, bringing in new people, that kind of thing. Hmm. What a because like one thing, I, you know, I always overhear, you know, with like investing stuff. And I, I mean, even with the DraftKings stock, right, like people were really upset with how much that plummeted and companies are constantly thinking once you take money, like you have to scale and be returning money or value back to those original investors. Have you had any of your investments where you've been, dare I say, on tilt or upset of like, hey, they're not doing enough for us, the investors, after all we did for them? Have you had any of those dynamics? I'm fortunate to not have those dynamics. I mean, we have really close relationships with the founders and uh, we, I mean, we almost exclusively have successful engagements with our founders. Um, generally, like I wouldn't underestimate what, I mean, it's kind of a wonderful thing about this business is that people tend to surprise you to the upside. Like we're talking about people who are generally pretty smart, generally have a lot of opportunities, you know, leave a good paying job to, do, to start a company. Like generally it's something they believe in uh, very deeply and are, are like mission driven to solve a, a, a problem. And like, I wouldn't underestimate those people when their backs up against the wall, you know, like it's kind of amazing what people are able to accomplish. So no sweats, no tilt. <laughs> what, what's, what's going on, James? I thought, I thought you, uh, had boring a DFS in you. It's, still. It is. It, I mean, it is boring. It is boring. <laughs> it's slow. You know, it's not boring. Yeah. It's slow. So for you, DFS was never about that high of, you know, chasing that, that adrenaline that kind of comes with, with sweating DFS. I tried to not watch. Um, yeah. I tried to not sweat. I mean, sometimes I did. It's hard, it's hard not to, but um, yeah, I think to play my best, I tried to like focus, zoom everything out, uh, filter everything out and just like focus on the next day. And then like after, after things set, like, I had sweats to win a million dollars where I was literally asleep for it. Like I didn't know till the next day, like I got second in a Millie maker, didn't know it till the next day. <laughs> um, I mean, those, those things The yeah, I mean, because it's like the r roster set, I'm tuning out to like have my personal life or whatever. And then I'm trying to get good rest so that I could do it all again the next day. You uh, mentioned briefly right before we went live, like, yeah, I was talking to you to Cal. Uh, so are you buddies with him? What's, what's the deal there? He's a, um, he's a phenomenal player, Yoda Cow. Um, he, I'm fortunate to have him as one of the investors in the fund. Mm. Um, a couple of my biggest opponents are, are, I'm lucky to have them as investors in my first fund, including him and Alex Baker. Uh, and I'll say about Alex, it's incredibly impressive what he's done as a, as a business owner of Stochastic. Um, not just a great DFS player, but yeah, I mean, Yoda... Uh, I always thought he had one of the best projections out there. And uh, since I quit, it seems like things really started clicking for him in terms of GPPs. So I'm not surprised that. Is that causation or correlation since you quit? I think it's uh, uncorrelated. <laughs> okay. Um, maybe it made things a little easier, but uh, no, I mean, I think he was, he was getting better and better at GPPs or he set himself to improve greatly at GPPs. And I mean, it's not shocking that he's like shipping every millimaker now. 
This, is, this has been a request. People have wanted Utica to come on the show. He recently emerged. He did an AMA in the Establish the Run Discord a couple couple weeks ago. You want to put in uh, I mean, you're the one that's uh, you know, does all these referrals. Can you get your guy to uh, recruit him over to our show? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll see what I can do. Why don't have you guys asked? I yeah, I did. He said he would come on in the summer. Okay. Well, there there you go. He's already coming on. He need, I think we need a full press attack, though, James. That's what yeah. I'm kind of feeling right, right. now. Right. You might yeah. just be placating us, you know? Well, well he's, he's probably focused on playing DFS, you know? I meant next summer. <laughs> um, yeah. Last summer time, tomorrow. I think... No, yeah. he's a phenomenal player. He, he There's no... Uh, undeniably. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, probably number one all time. Uh, so, uh, after you, of course, James. But um, last time you were on the... Well, the, the maybe. The two, the two. Uh, he's, he's got two years on me now. He started before me, and he has two years after me. So, last time you were on the, besides the eighty hours a week, I think the other uh, notable point for a lot of people was you. You were t- you talked a lot of trash about about players. Yeah. You got you got any hot takes? You got you. Do we need to go down the list of the top players nowadays too? Because it's, it's you got to take me up. I don't. I don't have. I don't know who's there. Yeah, you might you not know. even recognize some of these people. We well, don't really have a good list. The best thing we have is the rankings at Rotor Grinders. So yeah, Mark is number one now. Don't even list their screen names on there. So some people yeah. don't. Yeah, I'll I'll mention a couple after after we. So like Mark Levin's number one now. I don't know if you do that, but I didn't. What a shame. <laughs> it's a damn shame. <laughs> Anything Do you have else? any updates? Because you, yeah, you, uh, you were calling him out for being a cheater. The stuff with the three man. Is there any new information you've heard about Mock Lovin since then? He also ignores our advances to come on the show. Yeah, I've had, yeah. I mean, uh, he has not responded to me every time I told him to stop cheating, um, <laughs> and I have heard that he has stopped cheating now, or that he's not multi sitting anymore. Um, but yeah, that's. Uh, I don't know. Real uh, must not have a high ROI if that's what he wants to do. So I would expect he's not one of the biggest winners in the game. Yeah, it, it always struck me as strange. If I mean, if the allegations are are, are true, SSR was like the weakest player in the field, and that's the guy he decided to collude with. Like this guy literally used to run a hundred fifty person train into GPPs, and like every night and it was always the top like dr daily roto roster like this guy was like the dust of dusts like pure dust and like he, he team up the 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 galaxy brain of him and mock love and put them together and like maybe they can eke out a like five percent roi against you in three mans but i don't know for a while like i was fine to still sit them because their collusion strategy was so bad like they would still play four of the same guys and only have one that didn't overlap. But then like their collusion strategy got better over time. And there was like no better indication that these guys are cheating. Like they were learning together how to collude. Um, but his, anyway, no his one cares. Play. The doesn't care. No one cared. So like, it's all about the community. Like, are you going to have this guy on? Uh, well, I definitely want him on. Yeah. I don't think he'd ever do it though. That's the energy you put out there. He, well, Are I mean, well, why, why, what better way to do it than to talk to him about it? Okay. I mean, yeah. 
I mean, I, I would consider us a pretty balanced show. Like when we have stuff, we we've invited on on guests on both sides to debate, you know, various various topics. Yeah, we'll have. I mean, go ahead. I've heard of um, like Davis says that uh, God his name Saramac cheats in soccer or something, but I've heard that guy in interviews and stuff, and I don't believe it. Uh, so like, I'd like to How have him on in soccer. You cheating people out of like the hundred dollars that is bet total? Yeah, so like the eight dollars EV he makes with yeah. uh, by playing three mans with his buddy from wherever England. Yeah, 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 and like he gives out that guy gives out like free like like ownership uh, reviews and stuff like that on his Twitter. That doesn't seem like the behavior of a big cheater. Um, he also plays golf though, so and there's plenty of money in golf now. So, but um, and either way, like maybe McLovin has a, a legitimate reason why, and he'd like to share it, but he doesn't. And like, what other show are you going to do it on? Uh, really, I mean, I guess you could. There's a couple others, but like, I don't know. I think he'd be useful to have him on here, and I'd probably do some more research into it too, which honestly I haven't. But you're you're right. Like the biggest detectives are not the the like local police. It's the other players. It's the players. We need, yeah, we need to police like the cheaters ourselves and then make it public. What the, um, did you mention before the show that you, uh, you were at a live final recently? Yeah. DraftKings was very kind to send me as a former world champion. And so I went down to new Orleans and, um, I remember the first live final I went to, there was the guy who won, like got on the mic blasted drunk and was like yelling about how he was going to a strip club. And like at this live final, it was all nerdy kids with backpacks. There was no one like that. The only people like that, the only people going to the strip club there were the people playing the Rainmakers. So like it made me think that you guys should be playing the Rainmakers. Yeah. I mean, there were the, the kind of the TLDR on Rainmakers is it ended up at the highest stakes being almost like a pay to play stuff. Like the whales with the big bank rolls were, you know, the ones who were able to really, really crush it. But uh, Brian, did it captivate your attention at all? The Rainmaker stuff? A, a, a little bit, a little bit. Um, the, the process seemed too labor intensive to be on top of DFS. Mm-hmm. I did do the MMA one. Uh, a little bit because they gave me they started giving me free packs and stuff um i i don't think i think for some people they made a little bit of money but i'm not sure it was enough to matter and pga just came out too actually so maybe i'll I'll take a look at that but like i don't i don't know uh i don't know if it's worth it like this is what i was going to ask with mac mac lovin too is so like his volume is so high right now. Like he's at 1 million points this year so far. And Yuta is in second at 700,000. Right. So it's not double, but like, that means he's playing a ton and he is, he's like in every sport and all this. It's like, how do you get those lineups in? It's, you know, he must have some sort of automated process and rainmakers. Yeah. If I could, if I could figure that out, or it's just like, you know, optimize, boo, 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 put it, put it all in for me. And then maybe make some suggestions on cards to buy or something like that but I don't want to go by hand and put all these lineups in and, and go to the optimizer or whatever. I'm, however, I'm trying to win at the tournament back. So and at, do what it part of, at what part of his process does he turn the computer off and he asks SRN what he's playing? <laughs> exactly. Like if you are cheating, how do you he, he finds that, 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 he, that he finds out and he turns it back on? 
Well, but like seriously, the like, process is probably less automated than you think. But maybe as a bit, maybe as an organization, I don't know. I honestly don't know anything about what he's doing. That would be a process if you have an organization, you know. So like, I, I mean, it just seems like how could you cheat and get all that info in? Like it seems hard. Like I would be like, you know, hey James, make sure you switch to this guy really quick. Switch to this guy really quick, you know, like yeah, two minutes before lock, and I gotta change. You met the three mans though. Like if you're sitting like a hundred k worth of three mans, just open sitting it with another guy. Or like, I'm pretty sure, I, I don't really remember that well, but I think like at the last minute they would sit once people started thinking they were colluding. And so like, if you're going to do that and you know that it's a good portion of your volume, like obviously you're going to be like, it doesn't take much to be like, all right, I'm playing top DR, you don't play the top DR, you know? And like, it doesn't need to be like that much more sophisticated than that. But I mean, I mean they found a way to make it like about that sophisticated, but like... For for me, like it's, I had to get get rid of Yahoo out of my NBA just because my process is so, I don't want to screw it up. You know what I mean? And like with late swap and I use, I don't know what he uses, but using like Sims and stuff like that, like I got to pay attention. You know, and I don't have time to go, hey, partner, make sure you play that one because I'm playing this one, dummy. Like don't play the same one as me, or the whole the whole game's over. Yeah. Um, well, I will say that in situations where things are changing at the last minute, like you're pretty unlikely to overlap. And so like the times when you really are colluding, it's when you like things have been set and you have the last 15 minutes to kind of like figure that out. Right. Yeah. But, but like it could also be um, at every lock, you know, you have to make, you might have to make decisions yeah. to match up your cheating lineups. I mean, yeah, you know, you're getting in the head of the cheater who's playing at this volume is is interesting of uh, of of a, of a problem. Although I, I think you're overestimating how difficult it is, though, because like they probably are used to doing GPP and cash at the same time, and it doesn't take much to communicate like this is what I'm doing. Make sure you play a roster that has like two different people than that. You know. Like, Fair enough. That doesn't take that might take like 30 seconds to a minute longer. You could also yeah. also think it, you know, thinking it through if you use the same projection source, like whether they make their own or uh they just agree to or use, they use daily rotos. I daily don't know rotos, today, but you just always go, Gene, you're number two lineup, I'm number one lineup, right? Basically, and, basically and then just never even talk. Just or you just say don't take the number one because I'm dead. yeah, you just meet at a live final and go, You're lineup two, I'm lineup and one from here on out. SRN would in the three mans like fade the number one DR roster, but like punted in 150 times in the GPP. And like he had a long history of doing the same roster in both, <laughs> you know, like it could not have been more obvious. Right. Um, yeah. I remember. <laughs> yeah. Cause you'd go since, through the dupes. Yeah. Sorry. Be good. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I mean, since you've been on the show, one of the biggest battles in DFS James is, is duping good or is duping bad. Do you have a stance oh, on that? I don't, in DFS? that. I don't believe that. Come it on, actually guys. was. Believe it. It is duping was. good or is duping bad. Like if you, you can have certain slates and you can have like, if you have a five person roster, like on FanDuel, you kind of need to know how to dupe and when to dupe. But like, if you're playing DraftKings where you have infinite combos, like you just never dupe basically. The, uh, he, he dupes a lot too, Mark Lovin. Well, he, he probably just doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> then how does he still have money? I mean, you, you, first of all, you just, we just don't know the situation, you know, yeah. like a lot of people with how DFS was for a while, you could be people have people running on fumes. You could have people who are breaking even or slightly winning, 
you know, like, I mean, the kind the person who's making the decision to cheat is probably not one who's like, oh, I'm like super flush. One um, of the players. Oh, go ahead. One, one of the players who's not on the uh, top 100, Ricky D. What do you Ricky think about D this just guy? sent in a super chat Canadian dirty Canadian box from Ricky D. He says, ask him if he still thinks Aaron Rodgers shouldn't have gotten the vaccine. Was that last what time you, you were here? You last time you said Aaron. No, I don't even know what that's. I think last time you said Aaron Rodgers lost the confidence of his offensive line because he didn't get the vaccine. That's what it was. That's a deep cut. That's possible. I mean, has he done something to make us think otherwise? No, no, but I'm just remembering the show. It was Aaron Rodgers. You, you like used the example of Aaron Rodgers. I wouldn't play him because he didn't get the vaccine. And like, for example, his teammates wouldn't trust him. Yeah. I mean, you hear a lot of people say like the players love Kyrie and stuff like that. And I mean, when you have a guy who just like literally doesn't show up to the playoffs in the bubble, like you tell me like Spencer Dinwiddie, like loves that guy or like Harris Levert, like loves that guy, you know, I, I, I just don't buy it. Like, I mean, leaders are people who have followers and who make tough decisions, you know, and stand by what they do, not who like lie about it and skirt the truth and just like fuck around and like not make their best effort. So I don't know. That's what I have to say about that. Like maybe people love Aaron Rodgers, but like, I mean, I think that if you're out there giving it your all and this guy like won't do a tiny thing, you know, or like is a pain in the ass and like not giving your team the best chances to win. Like he's probably not very popular in the locker room. I think that answers your question, Ricky D. 25 Canadian dollars. What's that? What's that get you? I get days? that's got to be at least like four or five US dollars. I would imagine. <laughs> wow. Thank you. I, I don't know. What well, I will say is. before, before we were too light on time, that just like, I know there are a lot of people thinking about who are in a position like I was in, who are thinking about like what, ne- what's next from DFS. Like maybe think the things that I have to say are like somewhat interesting or interesting in venture. I'd love to talk to them. I'd love to talk to you. Just uh, email me. I'm james at gutter.cc. Um, happy to talk about uh, how I moved on from DFS. Love gamblers, love winning gamblers. So don't hesitate to reach out. So wh- wh- why would you be willing to to spend your time with all these these rant? You trust the Lulz audience that it's going to self-select to be kind of a good cohort that would be interested in reaching out to you? Yeah, you'd be surprised. I mean, I've gotten cold meetings with people just by sending them a thoughtful email. And like it kind of shines through when you have someone who is uh, worth spending time with, I think. I hope. Would you be interested in investing into Lulz? Send us to the what's moon, the, you know? What's the pitch? Uh, we're raising we don't do a, pitches. You don't we pitch? Don't, I mean, That's part I, of the whole thing. We don't do media companies, so I don't okay. think it's a fit for us. But, I mean, there well, is Brian an investor out there for you guys. Brian has some it's tools true. he's building. I do. I do. I was thinking, I was thinking about that, too. I could use money to get a uh, full-time coder, but I'd probably just rather just spend the money myself and get all the upside myself. Yeah, fair. But I mean, what, if we could get, what if we could get our name on this gutter CC pages? There's well, fun, one, fun zero fund lulls. We get our own column up here. If you guys uh, right now. like, uh, we can consider it. If you guys uh, get a compelling pitch together, maybe we do a fun lulls. Mm, okay. That's against our um, our, uh, our our uh, operating procedure. No pitches allowed. 
<laughs> All right, well, that, that is really makes it a challenge. <laughs> no, I feel like we went back on that, Brian, because we we used to be the show where people kind of book themselves. But Brian, you went on a booking spree. Uh, I did. In the spring here, yeah. I I because I, I would always like, oh, I forgot I was going to ask someone. Oh, I forgot. And then like finally after two years, I'm like, I'm just going to ask everyone, and yeah. like one day just get it done. So uh, sending you uh, an email, checking out Gutter, I will include the link down in the show notes. Anything else you would like the people to check out or, or parting shots here? I mean, feel free to go after a DFS player you think is total dust. I mean, the, the floor is yours. I, I, I'm just too far out of the game. I mean, I think the people who are around are probably pretty good. But it, let yeah. me Really quick, I think we got a few seconds here. Here's some names in the top nowadays. Let's see okay. if you know who they are. Yeah. Okay. B. I, I can't pronounce it, but it's B G R E S E T H. So B G Reseth. I don't know who that is. I didn't think so. How about Sigurd nineteen seventy eight? I don't know who that is. Let's see here. How about Giant Squid? Do you remember him? Probably. Yeah, I think he's pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Garns two two two. I don't know who that is. He's twelve. Yeah. There's a lot of new names you wouldn't you wouldn't recognize who made it all the way up here. How about? Hopefully um, they've studied me. Hopefully yeah, they. Hopefully Rick seventy five still up there. How about nerdy? Brian did this whole exercise just to read his own name. <laughs> how about nerdy? How about our guy Nerdy Tenor? I honestly don't know a lot about him. Okay. I mean, he has. He, I know he has a podcast, but I don't. He, I, he seems pretty sharp, but I don't know a lot about him. Yeah, he does. I don't think he has, but he's been on many podcasts. But oh, one, okay. Um. Yeah, okay. I think, yeah, those are the ones I just didn't think you would know their name. You you know Whistles Go Woo, right? Yeah, I think he's a great player. Oh, okay. Um, I met him for the first time in New Orleans, and, yeah, I think he's sharp. I think uh, it's not surprising that he's done as well as he has in NFL. Was he was he throwing back adult sodas and, and doing his signature whistle call down there on uh, Bourbon Street? Yeah, he was blasted. Uh, <laughs> yeah. With, it's, with, it's, with his mom. Really? It's his stressful. Mom was his plus one? Yep. Well, I think he brought like his whole family because he had like a bunch of seats. Wow. He brought it's like stressful. Though. It's stressful being, you know, an undercover FBI agent in the DFS <laughs> world. You know, you just gotta let off some steam sometime. Allegedly. Uh, I don't know. He was he was showing me some of like how the sausage got made and um I think he's I don't think he's undercover at all. That's what he wants you to think. James, Ryan thinks he's he right. works for the feds. No, I, I just heard he that rumor. Here? It's like the Mach 11 thing. We don't know if it's true. All he, right. He's a fed plant to actually bust Mach 11 from within. He's working <laughs> this close to Mach 11. I hope he is. Like, I hope that's true. <laughs> I, I, I would question if we're spending a, a, too much of the resources going after McLovin, though, because I think we kind of cracked that case. All right, James. Brian and I are going to huddle after this. We're going to get our pitch deck together. We're going to come and see if we can get lulls under the gutter. Umbrella. I keep wanting to say Gutter Cat, which was like a shitty NFT profile pro uh, project, the Gutter Cat Gang. Um, but you guys are the uh, the preeminent gutter as far as I am concerned. Brian, any final words on your end? Nope. No. Thanks for coming on, James. That was fun. Totally excited to excited to see the pitch. Sounds good. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in. Audio will be up on the podcast feed. Brian, are you going to have a MMA ownership for this weekend? It's supposed yeah, to be a oh, yeah. card, right? Yeah. John Jones is back. John Jones is back. Yeah. Should be fun. There you go. Projections, um, ownership, free. Brick75.com. We are here every Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. We do have our guest for.
for next week. That one is Captain Jack, correct? Captain Jack, yeah. I screwed up last week. It said yep. it was this week. James is this Ca- week. Captain Jack next week should be good. Yep, Captain Jack from Unabated, a prolific sports better, does lots of great content. So excited to talk to him next week. So for James, for Gutter, for Brian, for McLovin, I'm Pete. We'll see you guys next time. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.